With that information, please stand with me as we prepare to read God's word. For those of you who are visiting, I will read his word. They will be on the screen. You can read silently. Today we're in John chapter 5, verses 19 to 29. God's word says this. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son, just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Let me pray. Jesus, help us, meet us by your spirit as we honor you in Christ. And it's in your name that we do ask this. Amen. You may be seated. You and I are living in the midst of political chaos. So much division. And the concern politically for those on the right and left, Republicans and Democrats, the concern for these two groups is over another group referred to as the undecideds. What about these undecideds? The undecideds are those who have chosen not to affiliate with one party or the other. I'm not a Republican, I'm not a Democrat, so I'm in limbo. And so each side realizes that the battle is over those undecideds and they are thinking if we could get the undecideds to side with us during the election. If they vote more for Democrats or if they vote more for Republicans, then whoever the undecideds go to, that's who's probably going to win the election. But friends, this is not about politics. We're talking about the gospel. God has a problem with undecided Christians. Many Christians, many of us will side with God as long as life is going good. Can I get a witness? Oh, man, my, my, my bank account is fat. Ooh, the Lord has blessed with raise after raise, and I'm doing pretty good. Man, my house is right. Man, my, I, my, 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 I got gas in my car. Even when gas prices go up, I'm able to fill up my tank. My kids are not acting funny. Lord, you have blessed me. But let the floor shift under my feet. Let life start to get a little funky. 
again, I'm not talking about you, but I'm going to talk about myself. When life gets hard, for many Christians, you don't know exactly where they stand. Because now, God, you ain't, you're not good because if you were good, you would not allow this to happen. Has anybody said that before? Okay. It's not good. Life is hard, Lord God. What about this, this diagnosis I got from the doctor? What about me getting fired from my job? What about when stuff is going wrong with my children? Lord, if you were good, why are all these things happening? So I don't know what I believe now. When we get to that place, we're a lot like politicians who have their feet firmly planted in midair. Okay. You don't know where they stand. What they believe is ambiguous. But I'm here to tell you, Lord, uh, you guys, God is good no matter if life is going good or if life is going bad. He is still God. But God has a problem with people who name the name of Christ but do not have a commitment to him. <clears throat> Those who are committed to him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. To be committed to God in the name of Jesus means I will obey him. I don't want to, I want to ask you this, but just think about it. When was the last time you obeyed what he said in his word? Or do you just take it like, mm, I heard it, and you just move on, but are you actively obeying and following the Lord? See, he has a problem with those who are not committed to him in the name of Jesus. And when we think about being a Christian, <clears throat> to be a Christian means that everything centers on the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we are, if it doesn't sit on Jesus Christ, why are we here? Why is the church right over here meeting? Why are they meeting? If they say they name the name of Jesus, everything centers on him. But if it's not about him, there is no reason for us to meet. Friends, God's program. He does have a program. We develop programs for everything. God has a program. And his program is to sum up everything in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is to bring everything everywhere under the tutelage and the dominion of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. Paul says to the Ephesians church, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in, in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And here it is. And he put all things under his feet, not your feet, not my feet, but he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In our text this morning, Jesus speaking gives his relation, his connection to the Father. The religious leaders... Context chapter 5, they did not understand who Jesus was. As a matter of fact, they were angry because Jesus made himself equal with God. And Jesus here 
gives words to these religious leaders to show this is my relation to the Father. See, Jesus, the eternal word of God, perfectly expressed the Father's will, the Father's thoughts, the Father's deed. Jesus is the prototype for what prophets were in the Old Testament. Now, you read in the Old Testament, again, I know we like the gory stories, the one where David cuts off Goliath's head or when they cross a Red Sea where the waters stand up. We like those stories. But when the prophet comes on the scene, the prophet is exposing the people of God and saying, you're not right. And when a prophet spoke, the prophet spoke only the words of God. But every Old Testament prophet only pointed to the greater prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus spoke, he didn't have any other words to say but what the Father spoke. As a matter of fact, again, I'm about to get myself in trouble here, but I'm already there, so just bear with me. We got a lot of people today that says, I'm prophet so-and-so. Yeah, I'm prophet so-and-so. They're not prophesying, they're prophesying. But here's the thing about biblical prophecy. A biblical prophet, if they spoke saying I'm speaking for God and what they prophesied did not come true, the Bible says off with their heads. They had to die. That's how serious it is. You cannot say I'm speaking for God and did not hear from God. But Jesus only heard from the Father. The text lets us know I speak what my Father, I do what my Father does. Right, look at what Peter says concerning prophets in 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21. He says, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. In other words, it doesn't come from humans, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not some force. The Holy Spirit is God himself. So God gave these men words to speak. This is biblical prophecy. And Jesus, if anyone embodied what a prophet is to be, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, when Jesus speaks, God is speaking. And when God speaks, it demands obedience. I'm going to go here. Y'all, many of you who've been with us a while, you know, I talk about Matthew 28, 19, where Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The word make disciples is the main verb of that sentence. And that verb is in the imperative tense, which means an imperative tense verb is a command. When you give a command, you must obey it. To not obey it is what the Bible calls what? It's what the Bible calls sin. When Jesus speaks, it's as if God spoke in Exodus 20, you shall have no other gods before me under the Sabbath day to keep it holy. When you don't obey those commands, it's sin. So why do we treat Jesus' words as an option? Jesus, when he speaks, his words demand obedience. So as we examine what Jesus says to these religious leaders, I got three things I want to put before us, but here's the first thing I want us to know. Point number one, Jesus does not rival the Father. He totally depends on the Father. Again, Jesus didn't set himself up as another God. Jesus, who is God, depends on God the Father. He is the second person of the Trinity. Jesus says in verse 19, truly, truly, I say to you, 
The son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For what the father does, that the son does likewise. So it was a struggle for these religious leaders to see in Jesus that he was also God. When Jesus made himself equal with God, they wanted to kill him. They just wanted to kill him. Why? They could not see that in Jesus there were two natures that exists. Theologically, we call this the hypostatic union. In Jesus, he was fully God and fully man. So how in the world can full deity and full humanity be in one human being? You and I, we can't say we got two natures. We only have one nature. That's the human nature. And we can't get too mad at these religious leaders because when they saw Jesus, they saw a human. But their eyes were blinded. They couldn't see and understand when Jesus spoke, this is God speaking. They only saw a human and think he only had a human nature. What they did not understand is that Jesus limited his divine attributes. Now, if Jesus is God, he has all of the divine attributes that God the Father has. But when in his humanity, he limited those divine attributes. Because in coming to earth, he came to live the life that we lived and to feel our sufferings in order to be the perfect substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. Friends, Jesus is divine, yet human. He is infinite, yet finite. He is both invisible, and yet he's visible. He is eternal, and yet temporal. He is omnipotent, having all power, yet this all-powerful one suffered. The religious leaders didn't understand this. And even as we talk about this, how can the invisible and the visible dwell in the same package? How can the all-powerful one still suffer? They didn't understand what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, where he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." I'm thinking about this. Jesus, if he's God, he has all knowledge. But in his, in his flesh, as a human, he says, I don't even know. The son does not know the day or the hour when, when God will consummate things. Jesus limited his divine attributes. He didn't lose them, but he limited them. Therefore, what Jesus said to the Jewish authorities was not arrogant when he equated himself and made himself equal with God. But we need to know Jesus did not rival the father. He was not setting himself up as another God as they thought, but he fully submitted and depended on the Father. Nothing that he claimed was his own. Now, Jesus, when he was on earth, he depended totally on the Father for what he would do, for the things that he would say, even for his provisions. Now, if Jesus who is God, the second person of the Trinity, was dependent on the Father, why do we as humans seek to live lives independent of God? Or let me say it this way. Again, we're good Southern Christians, for those of us who are from the South. But no matter where we're from, we're good Christians, right? 
We say we depend on God for this, but there are some areas, God, you ain't got no business touching in my life. I got this. Don't worry about this. I will take care of that. We, we have a part of us that seeks to be independent of God, his rule and reign. Again, if, you, if you're wondering, like, no, nah, I try to, I try to, I try to. When I look at my life, I could look at areas in which I'm trying to say to God, God, I will earn that. We live in a society where you earn everything you get. I go to college, I earn these degrees. That means you need to pay me. And when I earn these degrees, I look at it like, man, look at what I did. Look at what I did. Jesus doesn't say, look at what I did, but Father, whatever you're doing, I want to do. If Jesus is dependent, what should we be? And we're not God. We're frail humans. See, dear Father, when we look at him, he initiates, he sends, he commands, he commissions and grants. The Lord Jesus responds, obeys, and performs the Father's will in total obedience. Jesus relied on and rested in what the Father was doing. There were two university Christian professors, two separate classes. The classes, the students were about to go on a long break. Both of the professors gave the students the same assignment on the break, and it was this. While you're on the break, the professor says, I want you to take some time to look at your belly button. Weird. None of us pay attention to our belly button. We know we got it. We know we shower. We want to clean it. But we're not paying attention to it. But these professors told the students, look at your belly button. Why? Because their belly buttons were evidence that they were created not self-derived. Every time they looked at their belly button, it would remind them that they came from their mother and father. And every time they saw their mother and father, it would just remind them that life did not originate with them, but life came from another source. See, again, it's all too easy for us to think and believe that we are self-made people. Again, we earned our degrees. We made this money. We bought this house, or you can put I there. I, I got that degree. I made that money. I bought this house. I started this business. And when we think like this and continue to talk like this, it just reinforces us for us that we are the source of what we are and what we have. But here's the truth, y'all. I don't care how much money you have, and I'm not trying to count the coins in your pocket. Praise God that he supplies what you need. But every time you look in your pocket, every time you pull out anything, write a check or take out your card and tap or, or, or I don't know what it is, Apple Pay stuff. Anytime you do any of that, you need to say, God, I would not be able to give this unless you will open your hand and give me the resources I have now. God, I would not have a roof over my head if you did not allow. I couldn't even earn a college degree work a job. I could do nothing if you first didn't allow, didn't energize, didn't give me the ability to do the things that I have done. 
Jesus modeled what it means to be dependent on the Father. And everything he did was, was because he relied on the Father totally. Look at where verse 20 and 21 says, Jesus says, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he wills. One rabbi, one Jewish rabbi stated that three keys remained in God's hand that were not given to his representatives. One of those keys is the key of rain. Another key is the key of the womb. And the third key is the key of the resurrection from the dead. That those, this rabbi said, those three belong to God. He would not give any of those to his representatives. Now, we need to understand that Jesus is much more than a representative. Jesus is God, and because he is God, he is able to raise the dead. This resided with him. To raise the dead is to give life. Jesus is the life giver. This is why we are calling this, this sermon series in the Gospel of John life giver, because Jesus, John chapter 20, verse 31, John writes, these things I have written to you so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, even though Jesus can do nothing by himself, his choices were in full alignment with the Father. Do we often ask, when our feet hit the ground every day, God, I want your will to be done in my life today on earth as it is in heaven. God, I want to submit to your will, whatever that is, in your way, so that you would be honored. This is how Jesus lived. And when we see Jesus and the Father, their roles were parallel. Here's the second thing I would like for us to understand. When you honor the Son, you honor the Father. Notice what Jesus says at the end of verse 23. He says, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus says that the Father has given all judgment to the Son so that all may honor the Son. See, Jesus is not just one with the Father in activity. He is one with the Father in honor. In other words, Jesus is to be glorified just as the Father is glorified. And this glory does not belong to anyone else. Look at what God says in Isaiah chapter 42 verse 8. God says, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. I need to out myself for a second. This ain't in my notes. I love basketball. I used to love it, but I watch it. And now my favorite player, we could debate about this later, but it's not really a debate. The greatest of all time is Michael Jordan. Not LeBron James. LeBron is great, though. But it's one thing I notice about LeBron, and we do this with all, many athletes or many entertainers. LeBron, before the game starts, he shakes the resin in his hand, and he throws it up and blows like, I'm the king, if any of you have seen it. 
and everyone just, just looks and they're amazed at LeBron, right? Again, I'm not saying that he's doing this to get glory, but we give glory to LeBron as an athlete, or we could do it with any entertainer. But God says, my glory I give to no other because it's mine. God is the only one who receives glory. And here Jesus says, if you glorify the Son, if you honor the Son, you honor the Father. Now, if Jesus gets glory, what does this mean? He's God. So again, John 5 is letting us know when people say that Jesus never claimed to be God, take him to John 5. Just take him to John 5. Jesus says, if you honor the Son, you also honor the Father. God says in Isaiah 42, my glory I give to no other. And if Jesus gets glory, then he must be God. See, to see Jesus as God and to make absolute claims about his person, when we stand on who Jesus is, that he is God, that he is the second person of the Trinity, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived the perfect life, that he died for us. If you stand on that, friends, you invited persecution. You invited persecution. John chapter 5. The person of Jesus divides. I know in our pluralistic, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit, our pluralistic society, Jesus is a relic. He is someone you put a cross on your, your chest. Even the most wicked person, you see them with all these chains and they got a cross. Me and Jesus, cool. We, 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 we together. Everything is all right. But when you stand on the fact that Jesus came and he died for sins, he died for your sin and my sin, there is a dividing line. If you do that, then you invite persecution. This is what happened in John chapter 5. Again, we understand this because we live in a world of pluralism and tolerance. And my problem with those who, are, who claim to be tolerant is that they are some of the most intolerant people in our society. See, when we try to remove the distinctiveness of our faith so as not to offend others, there is a problem. We do things like this. We don't say Jesus is the way. We say that Jesus is a way. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. If you think Buddha is the way, then Buddha is the way. And one of the prophets of that sentiment is a billionaire in our society by the name of Oprah Winfrey. Again, I'm not trying to, I don't know Oprah. I could use some of her coins, but I don't know her. But there are many ways to God, she would say. We even now, because we are dumbing down the distinctiveness when we come to the scripture, now with all of this gender-neutral stuff, people are trying to take the word of God and remove everything that's gender-specific to make it gender-neutral. Again, I'm not mad at anyone. I'm just saying that we are trying to remove the distinctives of what God has given us in his word. I don't want to ostracize anyone, but we got to be careful. If we're not careful, we will make Jesus a way, not the way. If we're not careful, we will make Jesus a truth, not the truth. When Jesus says, I am, ego I me, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me.
That's what Jesus said. And if we stand on what Jesus said, we have to be okay with knowing that persecution will come. But if we don't do that, it's maybe because we're afraid of what's of being canceled in our society. Right now, we, we are living in a time of cancel culture. Cancel culture happens when you or, 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 you or someone else does not like what is happening. They don't like that viewpoint. And when they don't like that viewpoint, they will just cancel you. They will cancel you. Man, we see today children canceling parents. We see all types of things in people or views being canceled because I just don't like it. This is a form of suppression. And when this happens for Christians, this is the suppression of truth. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1. See, people suppress truth because humanity wants its own way independent of God. Jesus says here, though, whoever honors the Son honors the Father, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. Then Jesus says in verse 24, who truly, truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Those who honor the Son, those to whom Jesus gives life are those who hear his words and believe him. And those who hear and believe Jesus grants them eternal life. Either Jesus is God and to be obeyed, or Jesus is a madman and a charlatan. I love what C.S. Lewis has written concerning this. This is one of the greatest statements concerning the person of Jesus that I've read. Look at it with me. C.S. Lewis, who is now dead, wrote these words. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish things that people often say about him. I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a post egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must, not make, you, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you could fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. See, if Jesus is not God, he is to be dismissed. He's a fool if he's not God. But if he is God, he is to be worshipped. There is no middle ground. You got to choose. But again, we live in a society where we try to straddle the fence. I need Jesus here. Yeah, you, you can save me, but, or I can get this from you, but I still want my other foot in the world. Either Jesus is who he says he is, or he is to be totally rejected. When a person withholds honor from the Son, they dishonor the Father. Jesus is to be honored. The Father is to be honored. Here's the last thing that I want us to see. Jesus has the authority to judge. Sidebar, another statement. 
I'm a hip-hop guy. I grew up in the hip-hop era. And there was one statement that came with hip-hop was that only God could judge me. You're absolutely right, and that should make us shake in our boots. That statement, only God can judge me. Jesus has the authority to judge. Verses 25 to 29 says this. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear the voice We hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Friends, when God speaks, even those in the tombs will hear. When Jesus speaks, even those who are in the tombs, the dead, not just the spiritually dead, praise God, we were all once spiritually dead and we heard his voice and we were quickened. Awake Ephesians 2 says, and we trusted in Jesus. Now we are made alive. But even the physically dead, when Jesus speaks, will hear. Why? Because he has life in himself. God is self-existent. Jesus is self-existent. His life source does not come from outside of him. Our lives are derivative. Jesus has life in himself. Therefore, he is able to give life and grant life. We're going to come to a story in John chapter 11. I love it. Lazarus, been in the the tomb four days. And I love what the King James Version says. By now, he stinketh. In other words, he's decomposing. He's rotting in that tomb. He's not embalmed like we embalm dead bodies. Lazarus died. They buried him the same day put some stuff on top of him, anointed his body to keep the stench away, but now it's four days. Them herbs and spices are doing nothing. He's in the tomb The king. Jesus stands outside of the tomb and says, Lazarus, come forth. And I love what the Bible says. Lazarus came out of that mug bound hand and foot, something wrapped around his head, and he's scooting because he had to obey the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, there is coming a day. Jesus is going to part the sky, and he's going to call those who are in the tombs. He's going to, he's going to call his people to him, but Revelation also lets us know that the, the, the wicked will be raised also. Everyone must obey the voice of the Son. See, if the Father gave Jesus the authority to judge, again, he is God, and Jesus says here that he is the Son of Man. This goes back to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. We're almost done, you guys. It says this. In Daniel, God says, or Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. In Daniel, the final judgment is in mind. At the final judgment, Jesus will judge all who are in the tombs. He will judge every human. But based on John chapter 5, it says all who are in the tombs. 
Those who are dead will be raised. When Jesus calls them forth, those who have done good and even those who have done evil will come before him. Now, those who have done good will be granted life, eternal life. Those who have done what is evil will be judged and thrown into, Revelation says, the lake of fire. Look with me at Revelation 21, verses 7 to 8. God says, the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Jesus has the authority to judge. What kind of fireman would I be if I didn't warn you about the fire? What kind of policeman would I be if I didn't warn you about criminals? What kind of doctor would I be if I didn't rightly diagnose what is happening in your body? What type of pastor would I be if I didn't tell you about the reality of hell? See, I would rather, as a pastor, I would rather love folks in the heaven. I want to talk about the love of God, but I ain't got no problem scaring you. I ain't got no problem telling you about the realities of hell. I don't have a problem, and I will not not talk about hell and judgment because the Bible speaks about hell and judgment. What, you, what would you say to the fireman as he stands out in front of your house that's burning and he says to you, don't worry, the fire will go out in a minute when he has the capacity to put the fire out. What would you say to the policeman who has witnessed criminals going into your house and said, you know what, boys will be boys. My bad. What would you say to the doctor who knows you have cancer, hands you two aspirin, and says, take these and get some rest? What would you say to that person you would say that all of these people are not taking their job seriously. They have no business being in the roles that they're in. And I would not take my job seriously if I didn't tell you about the realities of hell. Uh, Jesus says that he has the authority to judge. And uh, those who have done good will be raised and even those who have done wickedly will be raised. Those who have done wickedly will be, receive a resurrection that will doom them. Jesus came and he preached the glories of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of, uh, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Trusting in the Lord Jesus, you receive life. But if you reject the Lord Jesus, you receive condemnation and death. Friend, judgment is coming. For the one who trusts in Jesus, praise God, there is no eternal judgment. Paul writes that for the believer, yes, we will be judged, but not our eternal situation our works will be judged either we would be receive reward or our works will be shown to be nothing but for the one who does not trust in the Lord Jesus they will be raised and they will go to the great white throne judgment John writes in Revelation 
And at that judgment, I'll be hearing people all day, man, I'll be hearing some of the weirdest stuff. I'm ready to go to hell. Sure, I'm going to throw a party down there. Bro, get away from me. You don't, have a, you don't understand the severity of what you're saying. You don't know what's going to happen post this life. To stand before the great white throne judgment, you're not there to say, but God, if I wasn't born in this neighborhood, but God, if my dad hadn't left me, but God, I wouldn't have done if there are no excuses. There, he's going to run off a list of all that you have done wrong. The main thing you have done, you have not trusted in my provision, God says, which is my son. And because of that, to the lake of fire that burns with brimstone, judgment. Friends, I'm only mentioning that because we are around people all day, every day who are on their way to hell. And we are watching them. We won't open our mouths to share with them the gospel. Because maybe we're saying, I'm okay. And because we're good reformed Christians, if God is sovereign, he will, and they're elect, he will get them. But maybe he wants to use you to be the one to open their eyes to the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want to obey? Do you want to be used by him? Do you want to see others come to know him? Even if you don't like them, are you willing? Jesus has the authority to judge this prey. Lord Jesus, I do thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that all authority has been given to you. I thank you that now you are seated at the right hand of the Father. And at his right hand, you are making intercession for us. I thank you that we have your spirit living within. And most of all, Lord God, I pray that you would, by your spirit, give us understanding, open our eyes so that we would obey you. That we would obey. That we would not be a people who acquiesces to the culture living pluralistic lives and lives of tolerance, we're not called to be mean. We're called to love. But we're called to love you first and love our neighbors as ourselves. So, Lord God, as we continue to worship, I pray that we would see you and see you beautifully as you are presented in these elements spiritually. Remembering the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and his blood poured out for us. In Christ's name, amen.